0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the insights scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. BlockNative is the easiest way to build and trade with mempool data. Hundreds of the top DeFi projects and traders have integrated BlockNative's API. Learn why at BlockNative.com. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto. Earn up to eight point five percent per year on your Bitcoin. Download the crypto.com app now. Today's guest is Frank Chaparro, Director of News at the Block. Welcome, Frank.
1: Laura, thanks so much for having me. I uh, just got back from Staples to get these new headphones. <laughs> did did Bitcoin fall back below forty thousand? I haven't, haven't looked did. at price in a little while. Where <laughs> where are we where are we right now?
0: Well, last I checked, which maybe was like a half an hour or 40 minutes ago, it was at 38K. Okay. But I did see that it had dipped to 37 um, in the interim.
1: <laughs> oh, geez. And God and God only knows what the price will be when this uh, gets out to your audience.
0: Oh, oh, ooh, are you gonna drop some? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, so that's why I invited you on the show. Um, you are the first guest on Unconfirmed in 2021. It's exciting. And that's yeah, exciting. I think we can all safely say that this is gonna be a big year for crypto if the first days of the year are any indication. Um, so okay, before so you actually did write what your predictions are for the year, but before we even get into that. Let's just look back at the similarly, I think, actually really significant year in crypto for 2020. Like, what would you say were the big stories that year?
1: I mean, if you look at the data, um, you have a number of big uh, stories for 2020, right? The growth of the stablecoin market, seeing a supply above 5 billion, um, trading volumes reaching an all-time high, monthly high in the month of December. We put out a lot of um, figures around trading and and stable coins in the past few weeks. And so you just saw the growth of the market and the build out of a more robust market structure. So I think that's kind of like the high level overview of 2020. And I think that's why investors right now are getting so excited about what 2021 holds because you have this, this growth story from the year prior. So I think people are really excited and you're right. It's going to... Uh, It's going to be interesting to continue to watch, that's for sure. Aside from price, just the further development of the market.
0: Yeah, yeah, my two big takeaways, I think. Well, so first of all, I think um, partially because of the pandemic, Bitcoin, I think, was just like the big story last year. You know, I mean, you know, we just saw, I feel like, kind of a new type of person who was acknowledging what its merits were and getting in and then of course you know the big news with things like PayPal and MicroStrategy and Square and Mass Mutual putting bitcoin on their balance sheets like i you know i don't know if those things would have happened even without the pandemic but you know given what the state of the world was i definitely feel like all those forces came together to create the perfect conditions Yeah, I mean, it took a while,
1: though. It took a little bit of a while. You know, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic in March when everything was falling, um, crypto and beyond, uh, folks were kind of thinking that maybe crypto, Bitcoin specifically, wasn't living up to um, that safe haven characteristic that so many folks have attributed to it. And so, you know, I think once we had the Paul Trader Jones news come out, you kind of saw those dominoes fall with more investors, more hedge funds, and then actual publicly traded companies, in, in some cases, announcing that they'd be allocating to the space. And so it's it's been interesting to see that unravel.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other funny thing is that um, early on in Unchained, well, oh no, I know. It was actually the first Why Bitcoin Now episode that I did with Mike Novogratz and Raul Powell. And I did ask them, hey, like on Black Thursday, why did Bitcoin not um act as a safe haven asset as everybody says it would. And they said, okay, you know, maybe that day didn't, but we are seeing institutional investors who are viewing it that way and who are getting in. And I said, okay, well then why hasn't the price risen? And they said, well, it takes, you know, these kinds of companies a while. And they were right. They were like, it's gonna happen. Yeah. It's just behind the scenes right now. Um, but one other thing I was gonna say about your comments about kind of like just the um Maturation of the space in a way. What was interesting is like, I just feel like it looked quite different from 2017 in the sense that that looked very thin and it was very much based on hype. And this time around, it feels like it's more based on substance, which, um, you know, is more interesting to me. All right. So now and let's. The ins- um- and and oh, I uh-huh. just
1: add, I just add one thing to that. Like the institutions really delivered in 2020 in a way that maybe the retail side of the market didn't. Like in 2020, we didn't see things like a, an ETF come to market, right? Which many folks think would you know, open up the floodgates to more retail participants or um, firms like Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade or Fidelity offer retail products, which many people were hoping that they do. But we saw, to your point, uh, a lot of hedge funds and larger firms get in. So you kind of had this like tale of two crypto markets in a sense.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and reversed from last time because exactly. last time it reversed was all from this talk about the wall of institutional money that you know did not materialize
1: that did not come. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right, so let's talk about what you think will be the big crypto stories for twenty
1: twenty one. I think that you know, kind of adding to that point, I think we will be disappointed in some respects about uh, the entrance of firms like Fidelity and Charles Schwab and TD. I don't think that we're going to see any type of retail crypto trading products come out of those firms in the next few quarters. On the flip side, we saw PayPal come in, which kind of helps to an extent, but we're going to see limited activity on the retail brokerage side. I think we're also going to see limited activity on on the side of the large um, investment banks. And as much as I don't think that in the next few quarters, at least, they're going to be trading physical cryptocurrencies themselves, even though we have this guidance from the OCC that they will they 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 can uh, store crypto custody assets. I just don't think, given what I know about where these teams are, that they're going to be uh, trading it themselves anytime soon. And the market is still, even at a trillion dollars, a bit too small for them to do so. But we're definitely going to see the market continue to develop on the institutional side with prime brokerage building out and firms like Genesis, Galaxy, um and there are many other market-making firms, B2C2, which just got acquired by CB, CBI Group. Um, all of these firms are rapidly expanding their capabilities. So we're going to definitely continue to see that. We're going to see the headcount of these firms expand, um, in some cases double, in some cases triple from what they are currently, as they try to offer um, you know, deeper liquidity, um, more white-club ser- services for firms that are looking to put on these large 100 million, 500 million positions, um, in some cases, a la MicroStrategy, a la Square. Um, So we'll see more of that. I think we'll see um, in lockstep with these trading capabilities expand, more publicly traded companies look to follow in the footsteps of Square and MicroStrategy to allocate a portion of their balance sheet to Bitcoin. I've spoken with folks like Michael Morrow, who runs Genesis Global Trading. He anticipates more than 100 uh, companies that are publicly listed will do just that. So we're going to see retail brokers sit on the sidelines. We're going to see probably investment banks continue to sit on the sidelines in terms of crypto trading itself. We're going to see still the trading market structure develop and change in many interesting ways. I think going into 2021, you're going to have firms like Coinbase and other exchanges experiment with new types of liquidity or market-making incentive programs so they can bring more liquidity onto the platform. That could take the form of Something like inverted maker. Traditionally, exchanges provide um, rebates to folks who are adding liquidity or making markets on their venue. You, you could see some schemes where they're actually maybe paying takers, uh, which is something that Cross Tower and Upstart Exchange does. But you're going to see across the board folks just experimenting with these with these fee schedules that they have, and as a result, potentially you could see those retail fees then then maybe come down. And and that could also be expediated by things like payment for order flow becoming more um more of a thing, so to speak, in the crypto markets, basically the way that Robinhood and other brokerages and equities make money, you could see that continue to seep into cryptocurrency markets, which could also uh, help with the fees. So that that other element would be just the continual maturation and development of of the market structure itself. So those are some of the main things that I'm going to be looking for. in 2021 and that I'm excited about.
0: So we're going to discuss a little bit more about how the crypto exchange business and some other businesses in the crypto space will change in 2021. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn and spend crypto all in one place, earn up to 8.5 percent per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. Back to my conversation with Frank Shapiro of The Block. So earlier when you were talking about how crypto exchanges might change their fee schedule, what, what, was, what would be the motivation for that?
1: I mean, basically, the, the idea is to just create a better product and a better um, market structure for their venue. Um, it's something that, you know, we see in traditional equities and, and you know, folks that are working at firms like Coinbase. You have someone like Vishal Gupta, who's the head of exchange. They're trying to bring best practices from the traditional world to the cryptocurrency world to basically make for more efficient markets, more efficient pricing, um, and, the fee aspect and the the pricing aspect is one element. You're also seeing a number of firms try to improve uh, the, the data capabilities of the market, right? So you look across Bitcoin, any um, observer or market participant knows that it's often difficult to know exactly what the price of Bitcoin is at any given moment. So you have a number of firms that are looking to remedy that um, and are looking to create new index products around the Bitcoin market to solve for that S&P 500. You have CBOE, which recently announced at the end of last year that they'd be getting in the market to solve for just that. So a lot of what these exchanges and and new market participants are looking to do is improve the efficiency of trading and to make the market more robust. And you're you're seeing that happen. Even if you just look at things like spread and volatility, um, volatility relative to 2017 is a lot lower. And the spreads uh, between um, the exchanges, the price at which Bitcoin trades uh, across various exchanges has, has tightened as well. And so you're kind of, we're already reaping some of the benefits of, of these initiatives.
0: And at the end of the year, or really the latter half, we started to see a lot of big regulatory actions in the space. One of the biggest ones was against Ripple by the SEC. How do you think things like that will affect exchanges?
1: So I was talking with a head of of, um, an executive at an exchange who is responsible for aspects of the listing process. And so my thesis going into this year was that you'd have a number of exchanges think about Clamping down on new listings or at least reconsidering the listings process. I think there's, there's an aspect of that. I think exchanges are under pressure from a scaling perspective as it is to, you know, roll out new products to onboard new clients. And so they don't want to get entangled in regulatory dramas related to listings. So maybe that would make them a bit more conservative or potentially delist things, which you saw with Bitrex, right? They delisted a number of privacy coins. And so. Yeah. But there's also this other sentiment, and, and this is the sentiment that was expressed by this one executive that I'm talking about, um, which is you don't want to fall into the trap of every time um, a regulator says something about a coin that you immediately delist it, or you set the precedent that you know it's kind of like the coin is you know guilty until is is guilty rather than you know innocent until proven guilty. Um, and so that's something that exchanges right now are being highly sensitive about in terms of moving too quickly. I think that's why you see Kraken moving a little bit slowly and why you saw Coinbase, which many people, you know, even though they only took about a week, um, many folks thought they'd, they'd um, get that done or delist XRP within a day, right? Um, and, and they're not taking an approach like that. And, and I don't think many exchanges are. I think the ones that kind of got got out there really early on. We're maybe trying to do it for the marketing, but they're they're taking these um, decisions very seriously. And so I think you, you have um, these two forces, a desire to not, you know, move too quickly and completely bend a knee to the regulators, which is very important in crypto, which is, you know, to some degree, you know, <laughs> moving against the grain of, of the regulatory forces, but also this this desire of like, or, or this, you know, feeling of I don't want additional pressure when volumes are exploding and uh, Bitcoin is surging towards 40,000. There's just so many other problems I have that I don't want to bring uh, regulatory issues in as well.
0: Well, so you referenced how Bittrex announced that it'll be delisting the privacy coins, Monero, Zcash, and Dash. Do you think that this is just the start of Kind of I guess you know delistings or suspensions of privacy coins from exchanges,
1: I think that this is definitely going to be something that could spill over into other markets. um I think the fact that bitrex did it was was fascinating because they're not necessarily known for being at the forefront of um handling regulatory affairs as well as some other exchanges. I think some folks might make that argument, so the fact that they got ahead of this early on, I think is a uh, Canary in the coal mine, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I did see though Jesse Powell of Kraken, the CEO there. He said that he wondered if it was something specific to their exchange, mm-hmm. um, as in but, they
1: they you know facilitated certain types of transactions without doing proper KYC,
0: something like AMO. that. Um, but I did notice that the timing of it was around the same time that there were like new anti money laundering. Initiatives that were passed in Congress, something like that. I actually should have looked up the uh, the exact news before I decided to spontaneously mention it on the show. Um, but I remember thinking, like, oh, I wonder if this also, like, if they're just being extra cautious. But yeah, this is something I'm watching a lot because obviously with the regulations against um, self-hosted wallets and. Um, in general, just a lot of um, regulatory fire coming the way of privacy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it does feel like this fits into a broader narrative as well.
1: Um, and it's really tough right now for exchanges. I mean, on the regulatory side, I hear so many war stories out of, you know, the legal and compliance department of these exchanges because it's really tough. And once you had the the Treasury um, come out with this, uh, you know, proposal for rulemaking around um, non-custodial wallets. You just had across the landscape, exchange compliance professionals working day in and day out around the clock to just get ahead of anything that could come down the pike. And I'm talking, you know, 15, 16 hour days. So it's been, that's another story. You know, it'd be interesting to see how that um, pans out in 2021, but so far it's something that's, really top of mind for a lot of firms.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really wondering what's going to happen. Um, so one other huge crypto news event that's on the horizon will be the Coinbase IPO later this year.
1: Oh, yeah. That's what- very interesting.
0: <laughs> what are you looking for when it comes to that?
1: Oh, uh, there's so many. I mean, we want to know what what valuation, you know, we're going to see this kick off. We, there's so many unanswered questions that I'm excited about finding out, like who are the other investment bankers involved, right? We know that Goldman Sachs is involved, but there's going to be quite a number of other ones um, who kind of assist in this process. You could see maybe Galaxy. I'd like to see a crypto native uh, banking firm on the roster. Um, So we'll be looking out for that. Also interested in like the form of the IPO. I, I don't think it's been reported Um, whether or not this will be a direct listing or a traditional IPO or the new uh, direct listing mechanism that the New York Stock Exchange just got approved, which is uh, effectively a direct listing that allows for um, a a capital raise in in addition to the direct listing. So we don't have any of those questions answered to my knowledge. Or whether
0: there will be a coin component
1: or whether there'll be an Ethereum-based coin component or whether it will list on New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. Um, these are all open. What, what I do sense is that it's coming very soon, right? I uh, have reached out for one story and originally the, the firm sort of came back and said that they were in a quiet period. They then sort of came back and said that they weren't in a quiet period. So you're approaching this this moment where you know we're going to find out more information about the the degree, um, or rather what this exactly is going to look like. So we're getting close. That that we know for sure. And
0: when you say soon, last I heard was kind of like second half of 2021, but are you saying it could come earlier than that?
1: I think that it could come within, I think it could come within the first half of the year. Yeah, oh, wow. definitely. Yeah. Okay. But that's so just the timeline's like been my moved My intuition. You have, um, you have the firm just recently hired a head of investor relations from Facebook to sort of you know, in the early stages of this process, you're going to want to do the road show. You're going to want to, you know, build a book of potential investors from the public markets. And so that's going to be fun to watch. It's going to it's going to be interesting to see how Coinbase positions itself as a company to Wall Street, right? You know, they're kind of many different things. They're a brokerage firm. They're an exchange. They have a Silicon Valley brand Um, the, the gentleman whom they hired is from Facebook. So that kind of maybe gives an indication that they're going to want to position themselves as a tech growth story rather than a sleepy, boring brokerage custodian. That raises the other question of who's going to cover this stock, which is a more wonky pedantic question that may not be super interesting to your listeners, but is it going to be the guys who cover brokerage firms or is it going to be the folks that cover exchanges or the folks that cover, you know, tech firms, um, so that remains to be seen, and it remains to be seen how Coinbase will shape that narrative. Obviously, there's one very obvious narrative of this being like the crypto company. Um, so if you're uncomfortable getting some sort of exposure to Bitcoin directly, look no further to Coinbase shares. Um, so we'll see if that works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In in a way, the fact that Coinbase isn't easy easily categorized reminds me, in a way of how cryptocurrency itself is also not easily categorized. So, um, yeah, I feel like there's just this new frontier that we're creating. Anyway, well, it's been so fun chatting with you. Thanks so much for coming on Unconfirmed.
1: My pleasure. Thanks so much, Laura. Happy New Year. Talk to you Same soon. Same to
0: you. Don't forget, next up is a weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Today's episode is brought to you by BlockNative. BlockNative is the easiest way to build and trade with Mempool data. Hundreds of the top DeFi projects and traders have integrated BlockNative's API. They even have Mempool Explorer, the industry's first no-code environment for working with Mempool data. Mempool Explorer truly brings blockchain data to life, letting you watch mainnet transactions as they happen. Through the first quarter of 2021, unconfirmed listeners get double the transaction volume on all BlockNative commercial plans as much as $25,000 in value. Visit blocknativecom slash unconfirmed to get started and claim this offer. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline. Total crypto market cap reaches $1 trillion for the first time. With little hype compared to 2017, the total market capitalization of cryptocurrencies reached $1 trillion for the first time on Wednesday. With Bitcoin soaring to $37,000 three hours after surpassing a new all time high of $36,000. As of press time, the price breached $40,000 for the first time, a huge milestone for the 12 year old cryptocurrency. JP Morgan analysts speculate that Bitcoin's price could reach $146,000 over the long term, with their strategists saying that the king of crypto is competing with gold for investment flows. Meanwhile, number two crypto, Ethereum, has surpassed $1,200, a price level not seen since the last bubble at the beginning of 2018. Amid these high-flying prices, the block reports that cryptocurrency exchanges are seeing high levels of traffic, with total visits in December alone reaching $196 million, up from $79 million a year prior. Coinbase, which will be going public later this year, struggled with connectivity issues for six hours on Wednesday before finally resolving the issue. Next headline. OCC says banks can use stablecoins. The Office of the Controller of the Currency published an interpretive letter on Monday saying federally regulated banks may use stablecoins for payments and other activities. They can also participate in blockchain networks. Kristen Smith, executive director of the Blockchain Association, tweeted, quote, The letter states that blockchains have the same status as other global financial networks, such as SWIFT, ACH, and Fedwire. Next headline. Ripple and XRP Roundup. The follow continues for Ripple after the SEC announced it was filing charges against the company and two executives last month. Tetragon, the lead investor of Ripple's $200 million Series C funding, has filed suit against the company in light of the SEC's charges. The complaint seeks to, quote, enforce its contractual right to require Ripple to redeem its Series C preferred stock or, in plain English, give its money back. Tetragon is also attempting to freeze Ripple from using any liquid assets until the payment is made. Since the SEC announced the lawsuit, the number of XRP whale addresses has fallen more than 8% as many prominent crypto exchanges have delisted or suspended XRP trading. Firms to have announced delistings and trading suspensions include Coinbase, Crypto.com, which Disclosure is a sponsor of my shows, Genesis, Blockchain.com, and Binance U.S., Grayscale has also removed XRP from its large-cap crypto fund and halted new subscriptions to the Grayscale XRP trust. Bitwise has also liquidated its position in XRP from its Bitwise 10 crypto index fund. Next headline, Coinbase and A16Z prepare challenge to proposed crypto wallet rules. Top crypto exchange Coinbase and venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz are planning to challenge in court the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network's proposed crypto wallet rules should they become law. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong and Andreessen Horowitz's Catherine Hahn announced their intentions in dual tweets on Monday. Hahn, a formal federal prosecutor, said the proposed rules by FinCEN to subject all crypto wallets, including those that are self-hosted, to know your customer reporting requirements, would have, quote, many foreseeable and unintended negative consequences. The rule is also being criticized because of the rushed process by which it is being considered. As Jerry Brito of Coin Center tweeted, the original official deadline given was January 4th. However, on that day, the deadline was extended to January 7th with a quiet change on the website. As he tweeted, quote, commenters raced to honor the January 4th deadline and were never notified of a change before the end of that day. As a result, they were effectively afforded not the promised 15 days, but only 12. He added, serious commenters could have used the three extra days. This lends more fuel to the contention that the process violates the Administrative Procedures Act. Next headline. Vitalik breaks down roll-ups. Scalability has been the big issue facing Ethereum, well, ever since inception, but even more urgently since 2017. This week, creator Vitalik Buterin published a post explaining the differences between the three major types of layer 2 scaling currently available: channels, plasma, and rollups. But he does a deep dive on rollups to explain why they, quote, are poised to be the key scalability solution for Ethereum for the foreseeable future. There's a detailed explanation of the two different types of rollups: optimistic rollups and zk rollups. Including a chart laying out the trade offs between the two and how much scaling you can expect to receive with rollups. Vitalik's take is quote, In the short term, optimistic rollups are likely to win out for general purpose EVM computation, and ZK rollups are likely to win out for simple payments, exchange, and other application specific use cases. But in the medium to long term, ZK rollups will win out in all use cases as ZK Snark technology improves. Next headline. Shapeshift goes full DeFi. Shapeshift CEO Eric Voorhees announced on Wednesday that the trading platform, quote, has integrated decentralized exchange protocols and is sunsetting its six-plus-year business of trading with customers. <clears throat> the change means that Shapeshift users will no longer be required to provide personal identifying information to use its services. Instead, it has integrated with DEXs, including Uniswap, Balancer, Curve, Bancor, Kyber, X, and half a dozen other DEXs. Or he says that this will allow Shapeshift to access to more jurisdictions since the company will no longer be an intermediary. Time for fun bits. The Block's 2020 year in review. If you were intrigued by what Frank was saying about what happened in 2020, check out the Block's yearly review, which highlighted what it calls, quote, 10 developments that solidified the future of cryptocurrencies in 2020. The recap starts with, of course, the biggest story of the year, Bitcoin, noting that its total market value crossed $500 billion. The emergence of stablecoins as critical infrastructure and the rise of DeFi are also covered, and retail and merchant access through Square and PayPal is as well. It's a good, comprehensive look at the major trends of the last year, and it ends on regulation, which I think we'll see is a big driver of news this coming year. And there's a second fun bit, which is... XRP Army storms SEC. Leave it to Crypto Twitter to make a mashup of big news from the crypto world, which is the SEC's lawsuit against Ripple, and the real world, which in this case was the mob that stormed Capitol Hill on Wednesday. Small Ting tweeted, of course, in all caps, breaking news, XRP Army has stormed SEC headquarters. All right. Thanks for tuning in to learn more about Frank and his 2021 predictions. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes of this episode. And don't forget, we are now on YouTube. Subscribe to the Unchained YouTube channel today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Bossy Baker, Josh Durham, Chishonk, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks so much for listening.